thankfully it's a bit cooler today. I actually really like the hot weather. I'm not a, uh, I'm not averse to stripping off, oiling up and getting out in the garden and coming back all covered in mud and bits and all sweaty and then jumping in a shower at the end of a really long day in the garden. It is absolutely my ideal of heaven. It is the best days I have are those ones where I've been in the garden all day and I'm filthy when I come back inside and it's warm outside and I love it. Which is probably fundamentally why I've never made a career out of gardening because I'd imagine most people want their gardeners to be fully clothed. Or at least most people do. I've heard some stories. You might be listening to this and thinking, oh, no, that's not about me. But uh, those those clients do exist. But uh, yeah, so it's been lovely, but it's really nice to have a little bit of cool. Now, I don't know about where you are, but I was promised by the weather app, I was promised rain and a lot of it. And I have had zippity doodah, zilch nada, not a drop of rain. So and the watering continues, I'm afraid. And that's the challenge with any new garden, isn't it? Is that they, they need plenty of watering. But there's just something lovely about it. You know, I used to get really stressed with the idea of watering, but now a nice Bundaberg ginger beer and... Uh, who don't sponsor the podcast, P.S. Um, but could, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, in hand, casually walk around the garden. And, you know, if you need to spend a bit of time with the hose in one place to really soak a plant and saturate it and just let your mind wander and think about something else or watch things oh talking of watching things this has gone wrong already i'm supposed to i've got this list right in front of me there's a sort of a plan as to what should happen and the problem is i hit record i start chatting and i just think oh, i don't know i sort of don't look at the list i just imagine that you're here with me and we just have a nice little chat um but anyway, listen, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. There is, I'm taking eight weeks off to create a ton of new content with a new camera person and a new editing team. It, I, I, there's a really exciting sort of journey coming up. I've sort of got fed up of waiting to be validated by the TV industry and waiting to be validated by people who don't seem to know what they want, when they want it, or even what their job is or be validated by an industry that basically just steals people's ideas. So I thought, you know what? I'm fed up of writing ideas, sending them out, and then people saying, oh no, that's not quite right, but thanks very much, we really like it, and then giving it to somebody else in a couple of years' time. I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna produce content myself. So that's what I'm doing at the minute. There's an awful lot of really exciting stuff coming, but YouTube is where all of the long form stuff is gonna be. So if you haven't already, head to YouTube, search for That Chez Rose and hit the subscribe button. There's lots going on there already, uh, but you can keep up with my video diary log as well from the garden because every time I'm in the garden, I shoot a little video. We're gonna edit them together so that we can you can see the sort of process of each little bit of the garden. And I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about that in a second as well. So yeah, if you haven't already, that is the place to go. And so much is happening. Um, and actually sometimes, like today, is really lovely and, and calm in the house and quiet, um, largely 
because Mr. Adorable has done a night shift and so he is sleeping. So the rest of us have to tiptoe around. I say the rest of us, it is just me. <laughs> the rest of us sounds like, you know, there's more people that have been inconvenienced. But actually, I'm quite tiptoey and quiet and calm in the house anyway. It's a lovely sort of still day outside. So it's quite nice, but there have been some pretty stressful days recently. And it's reminded me that actually gardening can be really overwhelming. Like even if you've only got a little garden, we are fed in magazines and newspapers and social media and TV. We are fed incredibly perfect aspirational gardens all the time. And I don't know about you, but I get quite stressed by that because you can't help but compare and I often get like a tension that I feel in the garden not when I'm gardening like that's incredibly it's a real release it's lovely you know you lose yourself and tell you what the only thing I hate <clears throat> I can't garden I can't be out in the garden I don't like it I don't enjoy it as much if there's a deadline coming like if there's you know something coming up if we're going out for the evening or something's going to happen I, I hate that because there's that sort of pressure in the back of your head that you can't just forget about things and let time go and that's the best time to garden isn't it it's so such a nice relief release relief maybe both um but i there's just that moment when you see because what tends to happen is you plant a load of plants in the garden and you're dead chuffed with yourself right you can imagine them a bit bigger and filling in the gaps and and you think oh this looks much better than it did before you might have tidied them up maybe a bit of deadheading clearing up some dead leaves or as I'm doing, taking an area that's, you know, nothing really with it and you know, perhaps digging a border in or planting some plants or, um, I don't know, cutting in a, an edge or something. And it looks a million times better than it did before. And then you'll see a garden that's been around for 10 years or even five years, you know, on from where yours is. And it looks so much more lush and developed and there are more plants. And they've had a bigger budget, so they've got nice sexy edging and it's been done properly by a landscaper and it's really hard, isn't it? Sometimes and then I get that tension where I think, oh gosh, I'm I thought I was making progress, but actually I'm like a million miles away from where I want to be. Um and that can be a little uh, a little difficult. So I thought I'd bring it up today, just in case you're listening and thinking, Come, you know what? I get that too. Well, you're not alone as the song goes. I don't know who sings it. I'm not very good with famous people. But not, I mean, I'm not, not good with them. Like if I meet them, I'm fine with them, although I just don't know who they are. Which maybe is a good thing, you know. There's a lot of famous people I've met that have been a little smiley on reflection. I think it's probably because they knew I had no idea who they were. Um, little update on Jonathan. If you've been watching any of the videos on Instagram, uh, at that Jez Rose, if you are not already following, which you definitely should be, um, I've got a little blackbird, a little blackbird friend, and he is super cute. He'll sit maybe a foot away from my feet when I'm outside. He follows me around. He watches me every morning at the back of the kitchen. We have this dining room extension with two big double doors, two sets of double doors, and I open both of them up. And he flies down and he walks across um, the gravel outside the back, looks in, has a little look, <laughs> sees me there, watches me for a little bit, and then carries on. And I caught him the other day eating some ants and stuff. Anyway, it's been super cute. <clears throat> we saw his babies. 
and he's there with his young showing them around and walking around the little wildflower meadow and this baby's walking around after him and and they get really close it's so so lovely it feels like he's a real part of the garden um and also sort of i don't know there's something about the garden feels so much more alive now that everything's growing but having a little wildlife friend is it's really lovely you know, people that I see on Instagram that have got like foxes that come into their garden and of course we've got the two deer although they're not here anymore and I don't know whether that's maybe just you know when the mother's got young maybe for whatever reason she ventures into the garden I don't know um, so I'm hoping that maybe next spring we'll see that again because I haven't seen the deer at all and my friend who was looking after the house she got up really early and it was 5 a.m. I think she said when she you know saw the deer outside well I got up twice at 5 a.m. to see if I could see the deer and I couldn't and decided that maybe you know I wasn't that bothered about getting up every day at 5 a.m. to see if I could see the deer because if it wasn't going to make an appearance I certainly wasn't that bothered about getting up at 5 a.m. <laughs> to see a non-deer uh, <clears throat> so hopefully she'll be back now back to the garden so I'm going to recap kind of where we are with things just so you understand what's happened where we are and it'll also make sense because I've got a really really interesting guest interview this week who I mean blew the lid on so many different myths that I'd always believed were true in gardening there were um, I mean rocked my world when it came to native planting let me tell you so that is juicy like it's a really really good interview my word does he know what he's talking about I just had some toast before I started this and I'm just beginning to think I might probably shouldn't have done that because I had tea with it as well so probably I'm gonna need a wee soon and because I've just had toast I'm gonna do that whole hiccupy burpy digestion noise thing so either gonna have to edit it out or maybe you like that kind of stuff I don't know let me know if you like the whole <laughs> rough and ready digestion sound anyway so woodland area at the very back of the garden do you remember the gardens kind of split into four patio area that goes sideways into the, well actually it's now five I suppose patio area that goes sideways into the vegetable garden and herb garden then a wildflower meadow then a formal lawn and then this big woodland area right so woodland area we've cleared a little bit like a quite a wide path that snakes through it cleared a nice big area where there's a bench cut back some of the um the, the briar and nettles and stuff that were strangling the trees found a slow uh two pears a damson tree an apple tree all struggling so we cut them up a little bit and you know got rid of dead wood and crossing branches and all that kind of jazz and freed up that area to let a bit more light in and hopefully they'll do better and then I've covered a friend and I spent uh, a couple of hours laying six tons of bark shoveling that from the front of the house all the way to the end of the garden to lay over that clearing so there's a nice bark path that snakes through the woodland area to this clearing it looks really really lovely and um, now there's a video of that um, on YouTube so head to YouTube, there's a playlist called The Garden Renovation, and you can see a lot of the things that have been going on there. Um, or you might have seen it if you're on Instagram. <clears throat> now, the lawn is a whole project in itself. That's coming way later. It's full of dandelions, full of all sorts of random stuff. That it's, it's less grass and more 
<laughs> culture. <laughs> so uh, at some point, I'm going to do some weeding and turn that into more of a lawn, so it is actually grass. But the borders that I cut in there are really struggling. Um, I tried to transfer a lot of plants from pots that I bought with me from the farm to get them in the ground. It was about time they were ready to you know, come out of pots because if you haven't already and you've got things in pots, you should really sort of repot them, either um, you know, take them out of the pot, put new compost in, feed them, all that kind of jazz every couple of years or pot them onto bigger pots you know, to allow the roots to keep growing or get them out of pots and put them in the ground if you can. Um, they certainly become very nutrient dependent and feed dependent in pots because obviously you've literally only got the ecosystem that exists within that pot. If you put something in the ground, the roots are spreading out and the soil is providing them with different types of nutrients. And obviously the rain and your watering provides them with the water. But in a pot, you just if you just water them, you're flooding all of the nutrients out. And when they've gone out, that's it. So eventually the soil will have hardly anything left in it. So you need to continually feed things in pots. But... Um, now was the right time <clears throat> get those things in the border and then i bought some more plants from rosie b um, who's one of my favorite wild uh, independent wildflower uh, wild plant nurseries um, i just love all the stuff that rosie i'm going to do a, a video about some of her stuff and some other really good sources for healthy um wildflowers and plants that i've used in the garden and seeds um, so look out on youtube for that Lots of people have asked me, you know, where do I get my plants from? Which seeds would I recommend? So I'm going to do a little tutorial of, of the ones that are my favourites. But what I really like about Rosie Bee's plants is that they're always packaged really well. They arrive in good time. They're so strong and healthy and they do really well, but they're all native and wild. And she does her own sort of research as to, you know, which ones attract the most bees and butterflies and uh, what times of the year they do particularly well. So, you know, you're not sort of randomly buying stuff. And I think sometimes she does collections as well. So you don't have to, you know, flick through and try and work out what goes with what. She'll <clears throat> do a little collection for you. So I've added some of those and also a ton of native seeds um, or what I thought was native seeds. Interview exposure spoiler coming up. Um, some sort of poppies and digitalis and hollyhocks and all those sorts of things, right? So I figured I'd just scatter the seeds. That will help in time suppress the weeds and I can thin them out, you know, if I find out, because it's seeds, obviously, I might find there's too many hollyhocks on in the wrong place or whatever, so I can dig them up and move them or just pull them out and weed them. But, oh my word, the soil here is so thin. It is, I mean, it is gorgeous because it's loamy, it's easy to work with, it's really fertile, but it dries out so flipping quickly. And I am desperate for mulch, but mulch is so expensive. You know, these two borders are huge. They're, um, what are they, six foot wide in places, and they must be 20 something foot long, each one, either side of the lawn. I, we just don't have the money to buy, you know, mulch for that. So that's got to wait for a little bit um, and has waited too long, really. Um, so, it's difficult you know I tried to water in the evenings or as late as possible so that water does get into the soil and does get into the plants doesn't just evaporate but you know within I don't know a day particularly with the weather we've been having recently it just all dries out um, and you can use anything for mulch you know you could use grass clippings if you wanted you could use you know, bark chippings uh, that could be scrap they don't have to be nice decorative bark it literally can be anything you know chopped up wood um, aggregate like stones or gravel or something 
But just everything's so expensive at the minute, isn't it? I'm just noticing that even people I know who are comfortably well off, you know, they haven't been affected by, um, I don't know, Brexit or haven't been affected by COVID or any of the other world um, economic disasters that we've had recently. Uh, even they are, you know, noticing it and saying, gosh, actually, you know, we're beginning to see that actually money's not going as far as it as it used to. Um, so you know actually the impact is is pretty big. Um, now fortunately I've got a neighbour who can chip a load of wood for me, he's going to bring that over so in time, he's got to be patient, that board is going to take a bit of time to, to really blossom and develop but that's okay, you know that's gardening. And again the problem is if you compare yourself to some of these lush gardens that have amazing budgets you know, I mean, I'm designing a garden at the minute, a wild garden, and the client's budget for their garden is £90,000. I mean, that, that that's for the plants and everything, you know, all of the, the landscaping. It's, I mean, it sounds like, it, well, it is a huge amount of money, but it's not, it's not excessive when it comes to gardens. You know, you can, you can lose 10 grand so easily in a garden. Um, and it's more difficult as well for independent nurseries now. You know, in before uh, Brexit, I don't want this to become all about that, but I think it's important that we talk about it and that we are aware of where the challenges and the pinch points are. There's a lot of pressure on UK nurseries and plant growers to, well, grow plants, but also provide plants at a good cost because, I mean, we were, we had trade accounts with a number of nurseries in Europe and actually overnight, two of them emailed us to say, or emailed all of their clients, to say with immediate effect, you know, we've tried to make the Brexit thing work. We just can't do the paperwork and the passport thing. It's just not working out. It's costing us too much money. Um, with immediate effect, we won't be selling to the UK anymore. So it is a challenge. Um, you know, when you go to a nursery and you think, gosh, they're really expensive. And you realise that actually that person's had to water that plant and you know pay for the compost and the pot and, and the time to grow it on. Uh, all of that takes time and money. And if they don't sell it, they don't make any money. So big risk. This is quite a serious conversation and quite an important one. And I'm finding it a little distracting because the, the, I've sat in the dining room actually and the doors are open. And there are two pigeons having what I can only describe as rampant quite aggressive sexual intercourse on my area that will be a patio um, and it's a little more distracting than I'd like it to be I'm going to be honest so we're going to push on so that's the uh, the lawn and uh, now I've laid out the herb and vegetable area and that will develop over time but that's I'm really I really like that it's a nice cozy little area that essentially this time rather than having a whole area dedicated to veg and fruit I wanted to see how much I could get in a really small area so lining a path I've created a bark path that goes from the patio to this little outdoor cabin that we inherited um, with the house uh, as like a border either side of the path I've created you know herb just put in the ground herbs and, and veg and fruit and I quite like the idea of walking through like a vegetable herb garden you know rather than into one so and it's coming along really well like, you know got the height of the potatoes and the sweet corn and the raspberries and staking up um, cucumbers and things and it's fun really like it so um, so that's nice uh, now the shady areas uh, 
I had a lot of inspiration from today's interview when I did that the other day. And uh, the guy that I interviewed, which I'm coming to in a second, such a tease. I don't know why I do this. Why do I bother teasing it to the point? Because I always put it in the show notes, don't I? That's a stupid thing to do. Okay, so Colin from Swine's Meadow, who I'm interviewing today, uh, it's, I think, one of the more... One of the most interesting interviews I've done. I mean, really, really eye-opening. Um, so he'd just planted some nice areas up at the nursery, his uh, his independent nursery, and I took really great inspiration from there because I've got this quite challenging space. There's a big cherry tree in the shade, really, really dry underneath it. There's the top of the um, kind of septic tank area, so obviously I'm limited to what I can put there and around it the soil is very dry so I pocket planted that with some echinops and a couple of teasels some ferns what else have I put in there some kind of ground creepy things that I forget what they are oh a couple of um, um, oh man what are they called Roseanne is the most popular one it begins with an M not marigolds oh man what is that um, oh, I can't get. I'm gonna have to do some googling. Uh, what is that? Um, geranium. That's it. Knew it began with an M. <laughs> some unusual geraniums, um, and also a salvia. This gorgeous salvia that's like a black currant smell. It is absolutely stunning. So I created that area. And then the meadows. Oh my word! If you only go to YouTube for one thing, check out the meadows. I know for ages I've been saying about how difficult it's been because there have been these, well for ages it was just mud and then I thought they weren't growing, I thought maybe all of the um, you know, birds had stolen all the seeds and then it just seemed to be grass and weeds. Oh my word, they are beginning. The one outside the front of the house looks absolutely epic, like it is. And I know that every year it's going to get denser and fuller and more gorgeous but right now I am so happy with it. I mean, that is the uh, meadow in my garden aromatic mix outside the front. It is, oh, it's glorious. It's so, I'm so chuffed with it. Out the back, um, interestingly, a little later, you know, the one in the front is absolutely in its full prime right now. The one in the back is the B mix, and that's taken a little longer to develop. Um, I actually think that's to do with the exposure and the soil and me just not watering it enough at the beginning because I've been watering it more recently and all of a sudden I'm starting to get this massive array of flowers and it's looking I mean I'm looking out to it now and it's so exciting there's bright red poppies that are starting to come through among beautiful vivid blue cockles and corn flower corn cockle and corn flower um there's a oh pigeons having sex in the meadow ugh uh, sunflowers, um, these yellow, like pale yellow flowers, I don't know what those are. There's some phacelia that I put in there. God, I love phacelia. I mean, it's just glorious. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. So um, go check those out. Um, uh, and also, actually, out the front, I don't know, um, there's a video on this, but I'll find it and pop it on Instagram for you as well. There's this very gravelly, crappy, I mean, just nothing area. Just, you know, builders, when they were putting some driveway down or something, chucked a load of gravel, and it's this nonsense, difficult area. Um, you know, a smattering of soil on it, and I literally mean that. It's it's more 
just nothing. And I, I you know, there's so much effort to dig all of that up and put soil down. And anyway, <clears throat> Paul from Meadow in My Garden said, well, you could try this. Um, we've got a mix for difficult areas. You could try that. Oh my word, it's just started to come through, like really glorious. And lots of different wallflowers and poppies and I think some cornflower in there as well. And it's looking great. I can I cannot believe anything has actually grown in this area. So um, check that out as well. <clears throat> uh, patio is being laid this week and there's been some changes to that. I'm gonna, um, I think it's bigger than I thought it was. <laughs> I spoke to the chap who's laying it for me and I'd slightly misunderstood like it's fine you know definitely want the biggest patio you can get because you'll always use more space but um i thought there was room for a nice neat border around it but the border i'm gonna have to recreate again uh so i, I might do a video on that i'm gonna put jasmine all around it and i bought these four gorgeous hydrangea to sit in the corner so the smells are gonna be you know just just lovely 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 and then the outdoor kitchen we're doing a whole video on um the outdoor kitchen area going to gravel all of that create effectively a raised border a raised bed because I realized that actually you know that's the that's the ideal isn't it sometimes when you look at a space it's really difficult to see beyond what you've got and I've got this quite large area it's probably uh five so it's probably eight for eight meters by six meters maybe but it's got a bit of a concrete path randomly in it that sort of goes into the middle but stops randomly. I think there was possibly a pond connected to that at some point. There's a path that runs the length of it along the side of the house but doesn't really go anywhere. And I was looking at that trying to make that work. And also the ground isn't level. And also the oil tank for the house sits alongside it. And I was beginning to really struggle with how that area could work and then one day I thought well hang on why don't I just treat this area like a raised bed and put a timber edging around two sides of it it goes into the corner of the house so two sides of it are, are walls and then I can uh, level it off a bit membrane it put gravel all over it and then just treat it as a giant gravel garden and in gravel gardens of course you can plant sedums and succulents and you can also plant things like digitalis and I can put roses in pots and I can dig into the ground a bit for some trees and then we're going to install this gorgeous using recycled wood and reclaimed objects we're going to create this gorgeous outdoor cooking area where I'm going to be cooking with you uh, some of the content we're creating is sharing some of my favorite recipes that my dad who is super keen on barbecuing like he, he loves barbecue um, has taught me I might even teach you how to make his gorgeous barbecue sauce I mean, it is, honestly, it's out of this world. I keep telling him, you need to sell it. It is so gorgeous. Everybody that tastes it says it's the nicest barbecue sauce they've had. Um, so that's where we are. That is what is happening and, um, and what's going on. So that's a little recap of where we are. Now, there is a new puppy coming. That has been some big news that I've told you on um, Instagram. Excitement level here is running pretty high I'm not gonna lie <laughs> but also you know it's a puppy and a Labrador and they like to eat plants and dig stuff so I'm looking at this gorgeous wildflower meadow so I've had to put a path through it so I've created this turf path so that it's ready for the puppy uh, which of course he's probably gonna dig and chew I'll teach him not to do that um, by carrying him around everywhere now <laughs> and also it means I've got to lay fence 
just so that he doesn't go for a wander. Now, I'm a big fan, actually, of being out with your dog. I'm not a big fan of people opening the door and letting the dogs just wander around on their own because you know, there are some high risks with that. You, know, you don't know what the dog's going to eat, don't know what it's going to get up to. Um, so you can't really blame the dog for digging when you weren't supervising him. You know, you can't really blame the dog for chewing something if you weren't supervising him. You can't really blame the dog for barking all the time if, you know, he was bored and you weren't supervising him. And it could be hugely costly if the dog ended up eating something that was really dangerous for him. So um, I'm personally a big fan of going out with the dog, you know, rain or shine, spending time with him, do what he needs to do, come back in. So there's less of a risk, but I equally, you know, know that when puppies get a little bit older, they quite like doing that thing where they go, hey, I'm going to run really fast away from you and bolt through things that you can't get through because I know that will be really fun and you can't chase me. And I don't really fancy chasing him around my next door neighbor's allotment, which borders our house. So I thought through the, uh, the native hedgerow, I'm going to have to put a bit of fence just so the puppy doesn't go walking over there. That's my, my next thing to do. So anyway, listen enough of me let's break some of this up now very close to me uh here where um and just around the corner from the farm actually i learned that there was this nursery called swine's meadow and you probably heard me speak about them before it's an independent nursery colin is a plantsman that specializes in rare plants so uh, i've always been you know very keen and here at the new garden i was really keen to explore only using native plants and I could sort of sense that Colin was getting a little bit perturbed by my constant referencing of, hey, you know, have you got anything that's native? I'm looking for native. Have you got any something like this for native? And I could, he's always very polite, Colin. Uh, but, he, you know, what I like about Colin is a spade's a spade. He'll tell you exactly what it is. You get really, really good, solid advice. Incredibly knowledgeable. If he's not sure, he'll tell you. He'll go and look it up and he'll come back to you. But he's got really unusual... That's my pencil. He's got really unusual plants at the nursery and he's kind of got an eye for things that really work. Um, so, you know, if you want your sort of common old, I don't know, marigolds or something, he's not the person to go for. Probably not even roses actually either. There are other growers of those things. But, you know, hybrids and um, just, well, I guess rare plants. What was really interesting is we sort of had this conversation. I'm going to leave the interview you're about to hear pretty unedited because in kind of casually referencing what I'm doing with the garden, he put to rest an awful lot of myths and, and really challenged my thinking on things because, you know, the fascinating thing about this book from 1931 and Colin's interview is it's begun to make me question everything more about what we know about gardening and why we know it and how we came to believe what we believe. And, you know, I'm always the advocate for asking more questions, right? I mean, my career is built on encouraging people to ask more questions, right? Be the cat among the pigeons, you know, push things. That's where the exciting space is. You know, the right question does all the heavy lifting. And that's the that's the really interesting space to be in. But actually, even I haven't really done that in gardening i haven't you know questioned why do we do it this way and how do we make it better or where has that advice come from and you know, i've just taken it on face value i mean i wouldn't think anything about filling up a petrol lawnmower or grabbing an electric one because it's quicker and more efficient and you know that's just the way we do it it's only through this book um john coots's everyday gardening 
that it made me realize actually there are push mowers that still exist they're better for you because it's really great exercise um and they're much better for the environment and they do the same job like it's you know mows the lawn in fact we're going to do a test we're going to do a video and i'm going to do half the lawn with the electric one and half the lawn with uh, the push mower uh, and we'll do a little review to see which wins and, and you can decide what you want to do but here's the thing you know i've been trying to cut this ivy off of the tree because everyone's been telling me oh you know you need to get rid of that ivy it's strangling the tree it's not very good for trees turns out that's a load of rubbish turns out they don't strangle trees check that out i had no idea i'm really hoping that there's at least some of you that are listening going oh and that you know there's not however many thousand of you it's like twenty thousand of you or something that listen to this at any one time but i'm hoping that not all of you are going well yeah we knew that duh because you know i didn't um and also the other thing that colin talks about is native because as he started to push me on it he said well what's native because the romans bought an awful lot over here there's an awful lot of things that we think are native but when have they been native all the time does it have to be native for so long before we start considering it native or actually is native really that important and he's got some incredible things to argue against thinking about native planting or solely native planting based on his own experience with wildlife so this is colin from swine's meadow i think you're going to love it because i adore spending time with him and i hope you do too that should be the first thing we talk about <laughs> ivy is really is i mean i wouldn't say it's it's beneficial to the tree but it's it's not it's not going to kill it and you always want to bear in mind most of our trees are deciduous so that actually provides a good a good evergreen cover for wildlife i mean you've got birds you've got bats you've got um i mean you you'll know from what bees do i mean bees will go in there and it's also a good nectar source in the winter for yeah for that sort that sort of thing and i've never yet seen ivy kill a tree so leave ivy round trees I, I tend to leave it huh oh look at that That's... i mean if you look out in the field here we've got all those ash trees and then we've got probably got that thickness of ivy all the way around up sure the trunks well not only does that save me a job it's probably saved me a bit of money as well <laughs> i like coming here <laughs> so we were just going to start a conversation about, we can carry on having it now that I've hit record, about native, right? <clears throat> because I have so many questions for you about this garden. Um, it's one of the joys about interviewing people for this podcast is basically I get to source unremunerated advice about <laughs> that's going to help me plan this garden. Native. It sounded like you're about to have what I call a Colin rant. Yes. Now, a Colin rant, for those of you ever met Colin is always informative it's always got a point to it and it's never it's always from a point from a place of usefulness you know some people just rant for the sake of it but you've normally got a a bit of a, a logic behind your rant so what were you going to tell me about because obviously I came and said oh what have you got that's native we don't I mean first of all you've got to actually look at what is what is meant by native 
there's a lot of plants we would call native that aren't strictly speaking native plants because they were introduced perhaps way back by the Romans, by by various people coming into the country. I mean, I've got a patch of ground elder down there. England never used to have ground elder. Right. The Romans introduced it. It was a crop they ate. So, I mean, to be fair, they also introduced streets and sanitation. So, I mean, we, we've got to give them some, <laughs> some slack. But I see your point. And, 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 and you, it's like... Um, if you looked at, at, at England before sort of um, people started travelling more, before uh, you had people bringing plants here, um, England only perhaps only had one or two native conifers. And now we, we have a whole realm of conifers and they, you know, people sort of shy away from conifers, but actually conifers have quite a lot to offer. Uh, especially for the environment um, and again you've got to start start looking at eg the weather this this week look how hot it's got look how high how dry it's got a lot of what we term as natives probably aren't going to survive many years of doing that yeah sure and you've got to start looking at, at things that are going to going to adapt to that um, so you've got true sort of things that we'd call native, like digitalis and um, lavender and things like that. Lavender's not native. <laughs> it's Mediterranean. You're like the person that ruins the story at the end. It says, oh, by the way, he dies in the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's interesting that we would, or some people would class, you think about quintessential countryside. Yes. And the picture that you give yeah. yourself, the story you tell yourself is that these are native. But I think you're right. The, there's an interesting backstory to what is truly native. Like, you know, how, how real do you want to define native? But also, on the other hand, what's the, what's the new native? You know, because as yeah. the climate changes, Britain will have to adapt, I suppose, and perhaps we'll see more of those Mediterranean yeah, I mean, plants. I mean, I mean you've, you've got, you have got all those Mediterranean plants, and you'll, you'll to a certain extent, you'll still keep things like... Um, A lot of the, the the natural umbellifers and things, but but you start looking where a lot of those are occurring, and quite often the best plantings of those you sort of see are in in older meadows, edges of woodlands, through woodlands, um, and they just, I mean, I have a big patch of cow parsley, yep, sort of running up the side of the field, but there's trees the other side. Of Don't it, tell so. me cow parsley is not native. It is. Okay, good. Well, as far as I know, it is. All right. I've never really looked at it that, that's, that, that carefully. I'm going to be paranoid now. But, poppies? But, um, I heard a rumour that poppies were are from Asia a long time ago. They could be. They could be. I mean, um, yeah, I mean you've got the, the big poppy fields in sort of the Turkey and, and then... I mean, plants plants have been moved about by a lot of people over the time. Um, so, um, if you look at the poppy, the, 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 the development of the, the opium poppy, how, how that sort of became a valuable, valuable crop, mm. even though, you know, um, it's not considered as a, as a legal crop. It's, it's nonetheless, it's, it's a plant that's been cultivated by people for a long time. Mm. And um, 
you'll find you know you'll find poppies poppy fields e.g for the drug purposes all the way from south america all the way through turkey afghanistan plants are moved about by people they're moved about by animals and that's probably something we should touch on because you are one of the most traveled plantsmen i i know because and, and what, what came first for you plants or traveling are you, are you sort of you know do you like traveling and the nature nature right. and and if i can get a chance to go somewhere and see something different then you know i'd i'd, I'd jump at the opportunity where i've been to new zealand um, yes, I sort of enjoyed the more sort of subtropical parts of the northern parts of New Zealand, but the more interesting bits I actually found were down sort of in the, in, in the south parts of New Zealand because that probably more bore more relevance to what I could perhaps look in at, at growing and, and, and doing here. One of the things I sort of picked up on doing last winter was, was just going out to some of the RSPB reserves and places like that. Yeah. And yeah, the weather's been foul sometimes, but it's just been so nice to be out there, see all these different birds, see all these different... Nature just working. It can be really aggravating working with nature. I mean, like, for instance, sort of latter end of the winter, um, early spring, we were having to shut our polytunnels because um, the blackbirds were going in there and emptying all the pots. And <laughs> I love blackbirds to bits, but, you know, it's it's a living I've got to make. So we, we said, right, that's it. Make sure the doors are shut. Make sure they can't get in there. They have their uses, blackbird sparrows, you know, the, 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 especially this time of year, they go in and they clear up a lot of, lot of sort of insect pests. I mean, interesting, you touched on birds because, uh, you know, birds freely migrate, don't they? Yes. And uh, we don't think, I mean, we have native birds and obviously, and there are, I mean, we're, we're trying to think where we are now, uh, geographically. Well, you're just a couple of miles as a crow flies, uh, um, which is apt, from a big, uh, well-known uh, farmer who has uh, done a lot of work for native birds and re helping to reintroduce and increase populations, particularly tree sparrows. So, you know, there clearly is a need to consider and support native anything, native species of animals or, or plants or whatever, because I suppose at one end of the spectrum, you've got Himalayan balsam and bindweed and all of the invasive species that strangle and, and you know, spread. So I can sort of understand why, you know, there's a, a need to, to monitor. But I'm interested to hear your take on that because your specialism is, is unusual plants, isn't it? It's plants that absolutely are not native. I mean, you, you, if you wanted a native plant, you're probably the last person that you would go to. If you want something unusual, beautiful, rare, you're the guy, right? So I guess almost 99% of your work is about finding plants that aren't normally here aren't native to this country and then finding out how we can make them grow and successful mm. so would you say that you were anti-native Colin? no 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 i'm not i'm, I'm not anti-native do you look at a hollyhock and think ugh uh, i don't think hollyhocks are actually native <laughs> but um oh you're ruining this you're... <laughs> i'm not anti-native anti planting um, what I am anti-native wise is when people say I'm only going to grow native plants in my garden yep. and 
animals, animals and birds are remarkably adaptable. Um, you don't have to sort of turn around and then have um, certain plants in there for a certain animal to to thrive and and yeah. and, and breed and and actually keep going. Um, for instance, um, probably. 15, 16 years ago, we hardly ever got any goldfinches here. Um, as soon as we sort of start hitting into into winter time, I've probably got a flock of 100, 150 goldfinches. And where did they go and roost? In bamboo. Yeah. Because it's it's evergreen. It's, it's yeah. a windbreak. Yep. And, Sturdy. And they've they've said, oh, this is much better than what we were. You know, yeah. Crappy old hawthorn hedge you know let's let's go in that um and and that don't get me wrong i love hawthorn hedges again you know that is an essential in the countryside but we do have to not sort of be blinkered that to be friendly with nature we've got to stick with native so I this I love this conversation because I absolutely was the when I inherited this half acre of overgrown grass and thought gosh this is incredibly overwhelming but also what an amazing opportunity it's literally a blank canvas you know I could if I wanted to dig it all up and start all over again so I think I was the or there was a, at the very beginning a period where I thought oh I could make this an entirely native garden and then I started to understand the limitations of that and the restrictions of that. And I thought from a bee perspective, as a bee farmer, I thought, well, surely by restricting amazing pollen source that I know is available that isn't native and saying, well, I'm not going to have that because it's not native, it's actually doing a disservice to the um, environment, right, and the local ecology. It's really interesting hearing you say that. So what, is, what do you think the conversation should be? It's obviously not the extreme, which is, you know, only native planting exclusively. This is, you know, this is a better way. I can understand how that conversation's come about, mm. naively, I think, I think. I think you've got to introduce as much diversity into your gardens. and, and, and into, It was actually quite interesting because we were sort of wandering around, around Frampton Marsh yesterday evening and then suddenly we came across this big, big clump of perennial sweet pea and I thought... Well, that's not, you know, that's been put there by yes. a human. You know, it's not, it's not some something that's introduced itself. And it was beautiful, and the bees were in it, and everything, and the birds were diving. You know, all the little birds were diving in and out of it. You've got to try and get diversity so that you can try and cater for a lot of different things. You've just seen that that bed out there we did two, we set up two years ago. Most of that's non-native, but it's stuff that's that's. I mean, for instance, that, that, that salvia that's in there, that has been flowering now for probably three, four months. It's still flowering. You've just seen all the bees in and out mm. of it. So it's actually providing. You, you sort of observe the echinops just starting to come into the flower. The bees love that. You see that's providing late, late flower. Mm -hmm. Ivy, flower in the wintertime. I have other things that, that turn around and flower in the autumn, winter, very early spring. Um, especially this winter, you'd think um, we had a very, very mild winter. Um, 
very very dry winter which is a bit worrying it's it's showing its effects now because we're still in the dry there was stuff still thriving still surviving that wouldn't normally be in leaf not in flower and 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 nectar insects were out more than they normally are yeah so because they could be they could be i know of a blackbird for instance that was 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 nesting and, and rearing babies up just at the end of february here and that was just purely and the thing is if there's nothing there's nothing there to provide yes and if you're sort of sticking with purely native stuff there perhaps isn't necessarily this stuff there but if you've introduced other things in which you're going to bring other bring insects in and and do all the things provide uh, food cover yeah it it does help the wildlife that way on um so in entirely selfishly for a second because I decided it would be fun and it and it is fun and I'm still really enjoying because it, it is teaching me so much about how gardening has changed. I found this book from 1931 written by an ex-curator at Kew called Everyday Gardening and it's it's a sort of a garden book really written for the everyday person you know mm. you can and it teaches you literally everything how to dig um, all the way through to you know how to design gardens and what to put in it. Uh, the latest thing that I'm absolutely fascinated by is of course because I'm following the book Mowing the lawn is with a push mower because electric lawn mowers didn't exist in 1931. And it takes a little bit longer, but I feel fitter because take, of it. It takes even longer with a scythe. With a scythe, yes, it would do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I tried it with a scythe, it would be like a three-year-old trying to chip out of a sandpit yeah, in a golf course. There would be the scars on your leg to show it. <laughs> there would be bits everywhere. I'd have crawled here today instead of inside the lawn. Um, but, you know, it works perfectly well. Uh, the blades are sharp. The, the it's it's actually quite rhythmic. It's quite fun. Uh, it doesn't take much longer because with an no. electric lawnmower you're having to be careful of the you know lead and empty the box and all that kind of jazz. And it's much better for the environment, obviously, in every single way. And it made me think. I wonder what else there is that we've lost in gardening because of not necessarily thinking about what we're doing, just going along with you know societal changes or yeah, technology yeah, changes. Yeah, yeah. Do you have? Is there anything sort of, you know, sort of old ways or or nostalgic things that you maintain or that you that you're aware of that you think, well, you know what, this is this is the way we used to do it, or this is the way it's it's always been done, and so we do it this way. Have you sort of rejected technology in any way, or do you have to, I guess, embrace it because of the delicacy of some of the plants that you're dealing with? We're very much anti-dig here. Um, we believe in. Um, mulching and doing that is really actually doing what nature does yes you know the, the, we've got quite a lot of the customers here who would come and and bag up uh, rotted wood chip and off the go and mulch their gardens and some of them you have to persuade them you don't dig it in and they get they get quite defensive about that and you sort of say well you go out to the edge of a wood or anything like that. Have you got something there digging all that leaf moulding? Have you got some... What's nature doing? Mm -hmm. And what's the soil like there? Mm -hmm. And it's sort of... It's like watching a light bulb go on. Mm. And that's it. And it's a lot less work. And yeah, it's yeah. a lot more friendly. It's interesting because last episode we spoke with Nick Bailey. And Nick uh, was saying the same thing. that He used to... 
use a leaf blower and you know tidy up the lawn and mm. all that kind of jazz years ago and then realized actually that was the worst thing because even at a microbial level you know you're blowing away that that microstructure the nutrients that you can't necessarily see um not to mention the leaves which are really important to sort of you know let, let mulch and mold so what you're doing is that I mean, on mass isn't it yeah all of the new borders that I've created, because one of the one of the challenges with any new garden, the young garden, of course, is that all of the plants are so vulnerable while their roots are establishing and while they're young. So you need to be watering them and weeding around them and all that kind of stuff. So you would recommend, like, get plenty of mulch on that on that soil around all those young plants, and and leave the mulch there and what? just then keep adding on top of it. When I'm setting up a new a new border or, or doing anything fresh. Um, I've, I've just done a, a whole area in the in the field there, and basically it was grass, and I've just gone over it with a with a mulch of wood chip, probably about that thick, mm -hmm. and I'll leave it to cook for four or five weeks. I could just go and check on it now and then, and then I should probably be looking at autumn planting or, or going into it in the springtime. And you're just going to pocket digging where you yeah, need to put yeah. the plants. And then, what happens when the grass comes through? You just add it more. It doesn't. It kills it. Right. I mean, the fact it's got a thick, a thick mulch on top kind of, of it. Kind of four inches or so. It's, of it's denied the grass. So it's if you the grass line. If you start to get grass or weeds through, that's a telltale sign that you've not put enough yeah, on top. Yeah. Or, or, or if you started to get it through, it's just just simple. Just keep it weeded. It's yeah. not. It's not going to come up like cress. Yeah. 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 Um, Unless you're growing I mean, before you go, we can have a we can have a quick look, and then you'll see it sort of in action. But I mean, uh, that all that bit there, yeah. that was all bamboo and everything. That I've only just set up this season. Hang on, so you dug up bamboo? I dug up bamboo. Crikey! With what? A spade. Well, did you have a it in buckets or in the ground? No, it was in the ground. All right, so let's talk through that because everybody says don't plant bamboo in the ground because it will run off and take over your garden. It's like mint, but a million times worse. Right, pick your pick pick your pick your bamboo okay. because there's 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 running bamboos and then there's clumping bamboos. Yep. Uh, the biggest bulk of bamboos I've got in this garden are clumping ones. So it's uh, I do have a running one there. This one's a running one here. Right. You can you can see it. Yes, yes, but, yeah, yeah. But the rhizome's no deeper than that. Yeah. And I can go in and deal with it in, into a pot or whatever. Um, yes, it does. It does take some digging up, especially when it's a big clump. If you're planting it and leaving it, you've just got to bear in mind. Yes, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's actually you, you sort of come to a decision how far that's going to come. Hmm. And then you just, it's, it's a little bit like pruning trees, stuff like that. It's, it's a shallow rhizome. You just, you just keep taking off the edge yeah. each year. Amazing. See, this is what, we should do really a whole series just with you. Collins conundrums. And then people could write in and say, I've got this problem. And you can, you can sit there and you just roll your eyes and go, well, you picked the wrong bamboo. So, so for my um, interesting thing, of course, is that with this garden, I've got a tiny bit of free, I mean, obviously it's up to me how much I um, stick to the book uh, that, that this chap wrote. But I've got a bit of free reign because I've already had to go off script when I created the wildflower meadow because in 1931 there was 
you know, books didn't deal with planting a wildflower meadow because there were plenty of natural wildflower meadows. We didn't need to create false ones in people's gardens because, you know, there, there were enough um, uh, before the water to, to see them. With, with, with gardening, literature, um, advice, anything sort of in print about gardening, just take little bits, take relevant bits. I always try and break boundaries with what I'm planting in the garden. I think, yes, in the books it says, you know, this 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 doesn't want to be the here, it doesn't want that, it wants this. And, and I think, and I look and I think, right, well, let's just try it. We'll watch, see what it does. And actually, sometimes it's a... It's a disaster. Sometimes it's a it's a roaring success. It's going at it and not being frightened of, of breaking rules. Yes, I like that little bit. I'll have a go at doing that, or I want to do it a little bit different, and that's 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 what it's about. I think that's fantastic advice, particularly given that if you you know if you try to follow just one very narrow path, like for example coming full circle, I only want to put native plants in my garden. I actually think it increases the stress of gardening and it takes away really yes. what gardening should be about yeah. because you're yeah. constantly worrying, oh, is this, isn't it? Can I have it? Can I not have it? Where should it be? Where can it not be? As opposed to, if you come to your garden and one of the one of the many amazing things about this as a nursery is that, it, I mean, it's like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory of Plants. It's, it's a feast for the eyes. Like, literally everywhere you look, there are so many layers and unusual things and, and you wouldn't... I wouldn't have a clue whether these things were supposed to go six, together or not. Six different types of Aspidistra just in that bed. Amazing. A house plant, as people think. Yeah, I can see them. Looks here, stunning. Here at our feet, what would you say that, that thing is with the little leaves? The fuchsia. It's not a fuchsia. <laughs> well, I'd have never bloody got that. That is, that is a New Zealand fuchsia. Gosh. And it loves it here. It's, it's everywhere. And it's... And it's supposedly not hardy yes it's in in its native environment it's it's evergreen it does tend to if the wind if the winter takes a little turn the worst it it, it loses its leaf but it's i'm finding it's releafing up quite happily incredible I find a bit with a bit of flower on it it was oh, there we are wow and it's not as fuchsia as you would think. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I'll have to take photos of this because this kind of thing is pretty rubbish for a podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> that's incredible. Colin, I'm grateful for your time. Um, now, obviously, everyone's going to want to rush here because this is a destination nursery, <laughs> right? doesn't matter where you are in the country. You've got a massive car park. <clears throat> you've got huge bits of garden that you can walk around and see and touch and sniff and spend time in and of course you've got the gorgeous nursery as well to buy incredible plants and a coffee shop and a tea room and so self-serve self-serve tea room oh that's even better right because i like the idea of self-serve cake that that is <laughs> that, that is my kind of self-serve um where can people find you have you got website and social media and all that kind of jazz yes there's a twitter account uh, rare plants uh, at rare plants the website is www.swinesmeadowfarmnursery.co.uk and Karen does run a Facebook page. Um, I couldn't tell you, it's probably just under Swines Meadow. Yep. But, but. And at the minute, so worth checking before you make the trek over. Well, listen, don't shut yet because I'd quite like to buy some plants. <laughs> if that's all right. <laughs>
Thanks for your time. Grateful. Isn't it great? He's just such an interesting person to speak to. Um, now, listen, I am going to give a shout out um, uh, and to Colin because he they do have a nursery online. If you're in Lincolnshire and you fancy a trip out, definitely you know drop him an email or give him a call, see if you can go and have a little look around. They'll show you around the garden that he's created that is getting better and better and better all the time. Um, everything's got little tags on it, so you can go and say, oh, have you got one of those? Or have you got any cuttings of that or whatever? Um, and they've got a really great variety of plants that changes all the time. Um, but also they do online as well. So you know, have a little look online and uh and see if there's anything you fancy from there I, you know we we i don't mind spending a little bit more to help independent nurseries out um but interestingly i don't think his prices are, are that bad at all so yeah i really found that quite interesting now oh i forgot to say that if you enjoy this podcast and you would like more of them I'm super grateful for you subscribing. I'm super grateful for you downloading and listening. Um, we don't have a sponsor, and I've been really, really keen from the very beginning that we keep this sort of ad-free. But where there are adverts, um, you know, we, we might have to sort of, you know, consider that. Um, in the future, maybe a sponsor, but it would need to be a sponsor that works quite well. But at the minute, we don't, and we're on the fourth series now. Um, with no sponsor I know everyone's finding it hard so there's no pressure and zero guilt if you're not able to but if you want to you can drop me um, a little donation or a contribution at ko-fi.com forward slash roots so it's coffee.com forward slash roots it's in the show notes as well Um, and you know it takes several hours to record and edit these and travel around and all that kind of jazz all of those little bits of pounds and pennies um, are, are super grateful. Even if you think, well, you know what, I'll donate a pound for everyone that I've listened to, or maybe it's just one pound. That's absolutely fine too. I'd be really, really grateful because it helps me to spend more time creating content that I hope you really enjoy and I hope you want to hear more of as well because we've got a really exciting few guests coming up. I'm, I'm off to Kew Gardens next week to interview one of the curators at Q. I'm really, really keen to hear more about what goes on there and chat to them about John Coots and this book, Everyday Gardening, and the lovely Christine Walkston. I cannot wait. You have all uh, been asking if we can get her back on the show and if we can ask her you know, some more questions. Uh, I just can't wait for her brutal honesty and her <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, friendly, no-nonsense uh, advice. So she's back on again soon. Um, yeah, so listen, do head on over to YouTube because the video vlog... Uh, can you have a video vlog? No, because the V stands for video, so that would be a video, video log. Video, video log? I don't think that works. Anyway, the video log, the vlog, (laughs) the video diary of me uh, doing the garden is being edited. There's loads of new content going up as well. So you're going to have content there about how to create your own wildflower meadow and uh, uh, some hopefully inspiration, if nothing else, about what to do with your own spaces, even if it's pots or bare patches or, I don't know, different bits and bobs as well. And hopefully some good advice. So listen, gang, it's been a joy and a pleasure, as flipping always. And I will see you next month for episode five, I think, of series four of Roots Wings and other things whatever you do this next month please spend a little bit of time just outside somewhere appreciating something new go off and find i don't know a tree that you've not seen before 
I often find, you know, look really closely on some kind of hedgerows or shrubs or something. See if you can find a bug or a, I don't know, an animal that you've not seen before. Maybe go and see a flower that you've not seen before or a plant. Maybe, you know, there's a little lane or a road that you've never been down. Take a drive down. Have a look at someone else's garden. Get some inspiration from all the different things around us. We're so, so close to inspiration and freedom and a feeling of, I don't know, gratitude and calm and solace. We just need to sometimes go and find it. I'll see you soon. Be kind.